Welcome to International Marxist Radio, the official podcast of the International Marxist Tendency, Marxist.com. Join us every single week for Marxist news, theory, and analysis. Welcome to another episode of International Marxist Radio. Today we're going to be talking about identity politics and we're having this discussion in the context of right-wing politicians and the media in many countries whipping up anger and hysteria around various oppressed groups to divert from the crisis of capitalism, but also wielding identity politics as a weapon specifically to attack the left. This is obviously something which we've seen a lot of in the last few years, but it seems to be reaching something of a crescendo. It's very important that Marxists develop a perspective on identity politics, in part because these ideas have a certain grip on the minds of the young and even sections of the labour movement, but also because we have to unapologetically defend the position that the only solution to oppression is a class-based struggle against capitalism. So today our guest is Daniel Morley, who is a writer uh, and activist with Socialist Appeal, the British section of the International Marxist Tendency. Hi, Daniel. Thanks for joining us. Hi. You've written an article recently about this question, uh, which is why we brought you on. But I feel that identity politics is one of those terms that's often thrown out in scare quotes by right-wing newspapers, and it's just used as a bogeyman. And it means different things to different people. So the first question I think that I should ask you is, what exactly do we mean by identity politics? Yeah, well, you've hit the nail on the head there because it is itself a contested and a controversial term. Uh, different people will say different things and they'll have arguments about what it means and if it even exists. But that, I think, in itself is a sign of what it is. What I would define identity politics as, uh, at its essence, is individualistic politics on the small scale, i.e. based on an individual's identity, hence the name. So an individual's ethnicity or their sexuality, their gender, whether they've got any disabilities. And, you know, it can be defined uh, in, in many, many different ways or it can be based on many, many different identities. But the point about it is it's based on your individual, your identity as an individual, right? As opposed to class-based politics, such as Marxism, which is not to really about uh, your own class identity, but it's about the collective class struggle, right? So it's not about uh, focusing on your own identity as a working class person, but it's about the movement of the working class. It's not about classism or the idea yes. of the workers being oppressed as... Yeah an identity as yeah. such. It's about their relationship exactly. to the means of production. Right. Uh, and and a movement ba based around a set of demands, a program for changing society, which in turn is based on a scientific understanding of, of how society works. Why is society the way it is? How can it be changed? And what is the alternative, right? Whereas identity politics generally takes no interest in understanding how society works, uh, it doesn't really try to build mass movements, um, certainly not of a, of a sort of lasting character. Um, and it doesn't try to change society. It's just really, it's more like a rule book for 
good and bad behavior regarding individuals. You know, it's like a, this is a, a bad way to behave. This is a type of language that, that shouldn't be used, etc. without really understanding the, the, the basis for those things. Mm. And of course, it's not as though Marxists support using offensive or uh, unpleasant language towards people. It's just that we think that the oppression of different groups of people has a basis in class society. It's not like you're just born into the world inherently hating black people if you're white or inherently hating women if you're a man. It's that these are learned behaviors that reflect uh, a social and political need, which is rooted in class, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So in your article, you say that the ruling class uses identity politics as a weapon against the left. And I can imagine some people listening to this would say, well, isn't it, you know, Tucker Carlson and um, Boris Johnson and Jordan Peterson and right wing demagogues who are always banging on about identity politics? Isn't it something that the right uses? But you say that actually identity politics is also used and perhaps primarily used as a weapon by the establishments, mm. by the pro-capitalist politicians and yeah. media to attack the left. Yes. So um, why is it that you say this? Well, first of all, I think that this is a tactic uh, by the ruling class which has been arrived at through a series of approximations. It's not a preconceived plan. Um, it's not something that they set out to do in advance. That it's actually, and and this uh, is all is is precisely what makes it useful, because its its origins arguably are in the left wing, or at least it sees itself uh, in its origins as being in the left wing, and it is probably on balance is seen by most people as a left wing kind of politics. And that's not an that's not a manufactured thing. In other words, it it, it did genuinely come out of um, a kind of petty bourgeois sort of uh, left politics against racism, against uh, different kinds of oppression, a sort of university left politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like. Uh, particularly in the sort of sixties and seventies, and it's precisely that that gives it its its uh, its usefulness because it it it, it has a, a real. Um, support base uh, and credibility, if you like, which makes it a more effective um, accusation to wield or weapon to wield, you know. Um, so, yes, yeah, it's, it's identity politics is seen as being against oppression, such as uh, racism. And therefore, it's, it's accusations, such as accusing someone of being racist, someone on the left of being racist, for example, uh, appear to hit the left very hard yeah. because essentially, you know, just to call a left wing person, you're basically saying to, oh, you you claim to be against oppression, you claim to be very left wing, but actually, uh, you're racist for this reason. It sort of hits the left where they live. Exactly, and uh, no, obviously, people on the left uh, don't don't like that, um, and uh, it's very hard for them to 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 respond to it, um, and. It, but it's that there's much more to it than that. It is also it's an inherently subjective politics, which I already touched upon. I said it's to do with individual your your identity as an individual, right? And this comes from postmodernism, uh, the sort of philosophy that develops, particularly in the sixties and seventies, which is one of rejecting sort of overarching scientific explanations for society or different things in society. And instead is a, uh, based around the idea that there are narratives, that these things happen or different trends in society or, or events occur due to narratives that, that sort of shape reality. 
and there's many different competing narratives and no one is objectively more true than another um and for it's a for, for postmodernism it's a classic form of oppression um for one narrative to claim that it is the objective truth and to sort of dis- discredit or dis- disregard the other narratives right and so what they tried to do is to say that well there's different sort of marginalized voices or narratives from oppressed layers and that their reality has been ignored for far too long and therefore it has to be listened to right um and that this is this this mentality has sunk very deep roots in uh the petty bourgeois left really um and from from therefore from that perspective which is genuinely believed to one degree or another by a large relatively large layer in 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 the petty bourgeoisie um from their point of view to to because because of how much they've accepted that philosophy to reject an accusation of racism if you are, are accused of being racist and you reject that accusation that in itself becomes tantamount to the being the worst kind of racist because you're saying I'm going to disregard your narrative as an oppressed person. You're calling me racist, uh, and I'm I'm going to yeah I'm going to ignore your your point of view. You can see how it's incredibly dangerous politically to adopt that perspective because it means that the only proof necessary to accuse someone of being oppressive or being racist is the fact that somebody from oppressed group describes them as such. Yeah. So it's impossible to defend yourself. Yeah. In effect, if you're described as a racist or as a sexist or what have you. The only necessary justification is that a black person or yeah. a woman is saying that. Mm-hmm. And it's a very seductive uh, position, especially because of how the seeds of it have been sown with postmodern kind of worldview for, for many decades, gradually kind of gaining in, in mainstream uh, uh, sort of audience. It's seductive because there's obviously an element of truth to it. Clearly, people from oppressed groups have been uh, ignored. They they haven't had, uh, you know, there haven't been people from those backgrounds in prominent positions. Uh, and obviously, there is tremendous. There has been, there still is, and there has been tremendous amounts of racism, sexism, etc., that have been ignored or have been uh, not understood by in by the mainstream, if you like, or by the ruling class. Uh, and and that's become understood, which and that side of it is obviously a good thing. It's good that that is understood clearly, um, and so then you have this sort of pressure that well, if that's the case, then surely in rejecting this particular accusation, I'm just participating in that same uh, ignoring of oppressed people, that same racist kind of uh, uh, paradigm of basically just discounting the oppression of these people. And therefore, I, you, you fall to it. But of course, that, that's not true. And the best example of it, of course, the most well-known example of it is what happened with Corbyn. So this is Jeremy Corbyn, yeah. the former leader of the Labour Party. Yeah. On the left wing of the party. Yeah. So if he was elected in 2015, the most left wing leader Labour has had, arguably in its history, um, from, you know, completely from outside of the establishment of the party. And uh, for that reason, the right wing and the establishment um, launched a furious campaign, an unprecedentedly furious campaign right against them. But what's interesting is they started out not with identity politics. And remember, I said that this this kind of use of it as a weapon has been, uh, you know, arrived at. It's, it's, it's something they sort of discovered through trial and error. So initially, when he was elected, the attacks on him were of a more sort of um, class based 
ideological character. In other words, they were saying that, you know, he was dangerously left wing. He was, you know, going to bring back the 70s, all this kind of stuff. He was an IRA sympathizer. He yeah, was a yeah, Czech yeah. spy, all I remember classic, at one point. All the classic kind of red baiting stuff. Uh, but it didn't really have an effect because basically there is mass support for a left wing uh, agenda these days uh, because of the crisis of capitalism. So it had very little effect. And instead, they they kind of arrived at this this accusation of, of anti-Semitism and they found that it stuck uh, because of the moral character, which I briefly mentioned a moment ago, you know, this, this sort of sense, well, if I deny this, aren't I participating in the very same uh, racism that's dominated society? Um, so there was this enormous moral pressure um, uh, based on basically saying he's immoral. It's not that he's too left-wing. He's, he's an immoral person. His supporters are immoral. Basically, they are racist. And it, identity, it's another thing we have to point out. Identity politics is very moralistic. Uh, and that's because of its subjectivism and its lack of an understanding of the way society works. It's lack of a theory about capitalist society and how to change it. And as a result, it substitutes morals for a program. In other words, rather than we're going to change society with these policies, uh, and we're going to improve society with these left-wing policies. It's instead, it's you mustn't ever say this kind of thing. That is outrageous. Your part. That's all it really is. It's just, it's a moral code essentially. It's not a vision of how to change society. So it bases its, itself on this moral pressure that you, if you don't uh, behave in the correct way, if you don't say what we say, then you must be deeply immoral. Uh, and um, uh, yeah, but despite that, the accusations were rubbish, right? And it was clear; it was clearly the case. There was one study that showed that the Labour Party had far less instances of anti-Semitism than all the other mainstream parties in British society and Sorry. of British society in general. Yeah, um, it was. It's not. It, there, all the evidence showed it's not an anti-Semitic organisation, um, and uh, it was therefore clearly a, a, a massive distortion of what was going on. Uh, but the, and I'm sure, the, and the leadership clearly knew that. But they felt that if they were to strongly deny those accusations uh, and to throw it back at their accusers, then that would mean that they were basically being racist, because or they would be seen as being racist, because they would be telling Jewish people that they were wrong about their own oppression. That uh, well, me as a non-Jewish person can tell you that actually I'm fine and there is no racism okay. here. And they felt they couldn't do that. So they tried to appear by apologizing and promising to do something. They tried to appear as very nice people, basically. We, we're very sorry that this has happened. We accept your accusations uh, entirely and we promise to do something about it. And as a result of that weakness and that admission of, of, moral, of being immoral, essentially, the right wing pushed it and pushed it until it became... A stain which is still used today. I mean, he hasn't been the leader for a few years and it's still discussed frequently and it's it's still you still will see articles. In fact, it's become a fact in inverted commas that he and his supporters were anti Semitic. If you read articles in a whole range of publications, you will just see it described as well. Of course, the trouble with Jeremy Corbyn is was and there was widespread anti Semitism which he wouldn't do anything about. And that's just treated as if it's an uncontested fact. I now. saw a really interesting article in The Guardian, which is a liberal newspaper broadly in the UK. It's sort of seen as left wing, but it's it's not really. It's a liberal paper. And it basically put out an editorial where it tried to 
row back a little bit of the hysterical attacks on the left in general, which the Guardian had participated in very strongly yeah. throughout <laughs> Corbyn's tenure as leader. It basically said, look, okay, Corbyn has some dodgy views, but it's wrong to tar the entire left with this brush. Mm-hmm. And the Jewish Board of Deputies, which is a an establishment religious organization, which obviously very strongly argued that Jeremy Corbyn is an anti-Semite, released a really critical letter attacking the Guardian, basically saying, how dare you give even an inch, even a millimeter on this question. Corbyn and all of his supporters were anti-Semites, and it is an attack on Jewish people to sow any kind of doubt in that position. And I also wanted to speak about this question you raise about identity politics being based on a denial of the experience of oppression. There's an alleged comedian um, called David Baddiel in this country, who ironically was um, known for blacking up and making racist jokes about footballers back in the 1990s, but uh, we won't dwell on that, who has become sort of a public intellectual around this question of left anti-Semitism. He's always wheeled out on daytime TV shows to talk about Corbyn and the anti-Semitism of the left. And he essentially says this. He, He says that um, if a black person or if a woman accused somebody else of racism or sexism, that accusation will be taken at face value. And that's what I demand for Jewish people. If I say that a left-wing person is anti-Semitic, that's all the evidence you need. And the establishment lapped that up. You get so much airtime. It's such a, a powerful attack line for them because... It ties the the reformist and soft left in knots. They don't know how to deal with it. Yeah, and the point is that these accusations are being cynically used for political purposes by highly organised, you know, by the ruling class, by the media, uh, who obviously have an agenda. Um, But the main point to to make, uh, the last thing I want to say about this being used as a weapon against the left, is that this only applies. It only can be used in this way because of the weaknesses of the left themselves. There isn't some inherent power in identity politics, which means the, the ruling class can just always you know, make up any accusation, make up any claim, and then it just destroys our movement. Obviously, that would be absurd, right? Um, it's, it's uh, as I said, it works as a form of moral pressure of a sort of manufactured public opinion that this is... You know, the media trots it out and it suddenly is, it has this appearance of being a, an incredibly, um, you know, mainstream opinion. And oh my God, we've got to, um, capitulate to this. We've got to, to, uh, accept it because otherwise, you know, we're completely beyond the pale. Um, and, but that only works because the leaders of the left, um, the, or at least the leaders of the left that we have had in recent times, yeah. Uh, they want to reform capitalism and they don't base themselves on the class independence of the working class. They want to collaborate with the ruling class, even the, the more left-wing leaders, right? They don't, they, they, they want to reform capitalism and not overthrow it. They don't want to challenge fundamentally capitalism. They're afraid to, essentially. And therefore, what that means that they want to find a way to, to keep the institutions of capitalism, right? Uh, and to persuade them to be nicer. I'm thinking of an example being, you know, when Syriza, Syriza was in power in Greece, they wanted to persuade the EU 
and the so-called troika uh, to you know to to give Greece a better deal to basically not impose austerity onto Greece and they just thought well we just need to persuade these institutions that these are these are bad ideas that they have and Corbyn and and, and the leadership of the Labour Party at that time did many similar things thinking that they could appear reasonable and persuade these institutions that austerity was a bad idea and there's nothing wrong with our program it's actually good for Britain as a whole um, even good for business and they, they produced articles saying this right and what that means is that when those same institutions such as the media um, and which is obviously the mouthpiece of big business when they attack these individuals when they attack these leaders or these parties etc those attacks are devastating because those people thought that their whole strategy is based on appeasing these organizations rather than mobilizing a movement to fight against them, mobilizing a movement that understands that these institutions are their enemy because they are institutions of capitalism um, and it's a class struggle against capitalism. Because they don't understand that, they ultimately capitulate in the because they are, it's an attempt to appease these institutions. That's fundamentally what they're doing. That's the that's the secret. That's the the secret of the success of 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 these accusations, um, uh, these accusations, these identity politics based accusations against the left. That's the only reason they have the strength that they have. There's not some magical power to it. And that leads me nicely into the next thing I was going to ask: How should the left respond to these sorts of accusations? Because I can understand, as you say, it's seductive. You don't. If you're a socialist, if you're left-wing, then you instinctively stand on the side of the oppressed, of the downtrodden, and you don't want to feel like you're part of the problem. But if someone attacks you for being racist or sexist or transphobic or what have you, and there's a political motivation behind it to discredit you, to rather than deal with your ideas directly, but to defame your character... Mm -hmm. What is the way that the left should respond? Well, the starting point has to be what I've already indicated. Understanding it's a struggle against capitalism and having basing yourself on the class independence of the working class. In other words, not some idea of collaborating with the capitalist class and therefore mobilizing the working class on their own program. And on that basis, you, there's no reason we can't emphatically reject the rubbish the lies when they do come from the right wing uh, and there should be no fear of doing so because there's no shortage of anger and rejection of identity politics in society it's it's widespread it's very widespread it's 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 more common in general i would say uh while most people are against uh, racism for example or or you know against uh, homophobia that's not the same thing as saying people support identity politics, right? There's a huge amount of, of anger at this stuff, which people see as dishonest, um, as often just sort of silly, piddling stuff. You know, take the example of the Roald Dahl edits to his, you know, books. Mm. People just see this stuff as just like middle class sort of uh, nonsense, basically. And it and it's clear that mm. in the absence of a concerted left-wing rejection of yeah. identity politics well, the point, yeah. it's the right wing that benefits yeah. and i mean we took the words out of my mouth yeah. <laughs> it's criminal that the right wing it's is almost able like we discussed this before up, it's, it's criminal that the right wing is able to hoover up that um that anger and divert it in a reactionary direction uh, which they are doing so to some extent 
um, that is absolutely criminal. That's that is going to waste. That anger needs to be directed, not in a racist direction. Uh, not to say that the people who reject identity politics are racist, but it can be pushed in that direction. It must be pushed in a left wing direction, an anti capitalist direction. Um, but unfortunately, there re- there aren't really any organisations on a large enough scale that, or leaders that are are doing that. But what the left needs to do is to go on the offence, not just reject such accusations when they when they are patently politically motivated and are false, but they must um, go on the offensive against the accusers in the media, right? But to do so, you have to do so with some content, right? When um, Trump is accused of racism, first of all, those accusations are actually accurate because <laughs> he is racist. But secondly, he yes, he he rejects those accusations emphatically as well. But what does he counterpose them with? His own form of identity politics. And there's no content to what he says either. He just It's just uh, hot air and ego. But we need to have uh, a coherent alternative, right? We need to have our own ideas. And I've explained how, unfortunately, the left reformists, their ideas are of reforming capitalism, essentially, and of persuading the institutions of capitalism of the sensibleness of their ideas. But we need to, to obviously not have that. Uh, we need to also explain when, if if you suffer, like if I was Corbyn and I was accused of being anti-Semitic or that, that my party is riddled with anti-Semitism, not only would I say that's false, it's totally false, but I would explain why uh, the accusers are determined to destroy me and our movement. What's the real basis of that? What do they really represent? Which is capitalism and the rich, the capitalist class, and they want to use this as as a distraction from my program, which is against capitalism and against oppression, against racism, against sexism. And actually, it's the capitalist system which they defend, which uh, perpetuates racism and sexism, right? All the time, and and it does so quite consciously and systematically um, in the media and with right-wing politicians. Mm. They're two sides of the same coin, i.e. the liberals and the, and the reactionaries, they both defend capitalism and they have uh, nothing, they have no alternative to this system. They have no program to end racism, for example. But we do. We understand the real causes of, of racism and other forms of oppression. And we have serious solutions and we're prepared to fight for them. And if, if the left did that, it, it, it would throw, it would shift the argument, right? And it would, uh, it would, Turn us from being the accused, we would become the accusers, the accusers of capitalism, as John McLean said. And we, and, and it would put them on the back foot and we would win a huge amount of supporters and confidence, uh, for, for having done so, not just for having rejected, but for having an alternative and being, for being able to explain why all of this is happening. In case anyone's not aware, John McLean was a very important Scottish socialist who gave a very famous uh, speech from the dock while he was on trial uh, for his political activities. Um, Just on this point about the liberals who give grist to this millstone, um, a thing that I find really repugnant about these people, you know, the the, the Polly Toynbees of the world, the David Baddiels, the Luciana Burgers, this Blairite MP from Labour who resigned and tried to set up a new party, then became a Lib Dem, um, in response to allegations, false allegations of anti-Semitism in order to attack Corbyn and the left in Labour, is they will profess time and again that they are opposed to racism, that they deplore racism and inequality, 
And yet, by their actions, they prop up a system which, in of itself, is the source of all forms of oppression. I think that some people have this caricatured and vulgar view of Marxism that we think that if you just focus on class, then all other forms, all forms of oppression disappear. And if we have a socialist revolution tomorrow, then that would do away with all the rubbish of Mm -hmm. thousands of years of class society. But of course, what we say is that unless you believe that hatred towards people who are different is just something which is genetically innate and therefore actually unsolvable. If it's just human nature, there's nothing we can really do. It's quite a fatalistic outlook. If you don't believe that, then these ideas have to serve a purpose. And the purpose they serve, basically, generally, is divide and rule. It pits people against one another when they have more in common um, than, 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 than divides them. People who, who talk about um, how if only there were women in positions of power, then it would be better for women in general. Does that mean that Margaret Thatcher had the same interests as a poor single mother from the north of England struggling to... You know, take our kids to school and also work two jobs. You know, does the fact that um, Barack Obama was the president of the USA mean that things have improved even slightly for black people in the USA? Well, clearly not. I mean, we had the um, uh, the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter protest a couple of years ago as a result of police violence after Obama was already in power. So these people, they, they prop up the source, ultimately, of the oppression that they claim to oppose. It's only the consistent socialists, the consistent Marxists, to identify the class basis of these ideas who really offer any kind of roadmap for how we overcome these problems. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wanted to talk about the way that sections of the left, or the so-called left, adopt these ideas in order to attack the consistent socialists. There was an example that I wanted to draw out because it affected our own comrades in Italy, um, our Italian com- um, organization, Sinistra Classe Revoluzioni. I apologize to any of our Italian comrades listening for my terrible pronunciation. But they were recently attacked by both the right-wing press in Italy and so-called left-wing feminist activists because they attended a demonstration and they had a banner at this demonstration which said, Maloney out. The new prime minister, um, Giorgia Maloney, who is a woman, she's also a flagrant reactionary, opposes abortion and this sort of thing. And they were attacked um, by the right wing press, actually, in some instances, using identity politics, saying, oh, so uh, you support women's rights, but you oppose the idea of a woman leading the country. But then they were also attacked by so-called left-wingers on this demonstration, basically because they were raising political slogans, having been told that it was meant to be basically an apolitical demonstration. And they even had their stall attacked subsequently. They were shouted down at at, at a summit of the activists of this organization. What's going on here? Well, the the left attacking our comrades in Italy uh, on this demo, they aren't the left. Identity politics is not a left-wing thing. It might have that reputation and uh, it might have some overlap in the sense that there are people who are left-wing and who oppose racism and and they drift into identity politics in a confused way to deal with it. That's true, but identity politics itself is not left-wing. And when you're organising a protest and you're denying that it's a, a, a political protest, that's absurd. And who does that benefit? You know, you're you're crippling the movement against the right wing you're basically saying the movement against the right wing isn't allowed to to discuss amongst itself what demands are best it isn't allowed to advance different ideas different slogans 
And in fact, also what you're saying is we don't have the confidence. There's another part of identity politics is that it's, it's like I said, it does, it's not based around trying to understand and change society, really. It's just based around sort of a, a rule book for, for, for good and bad behavior. It doesn't have any ideas about how to change society. And therefore, they don't want a discussion on that. They don't have a program. They don't have any ideas, which implicitly means that they're happy with how society is. They might not think that they are, but they don't seem to pay any attention of how to how to discuss that. And if someone else, you know, if I'm on a, a demo or if I'm in a, a meeting that I've organised and someone comes from a political tendency, unless they're a fascist who are advocating, you know, violence in a, you know, but if, if, if someone... Comes and just puts forward, especially if they come from the left and they put forward an idea which I don't agree with, I will argue against that idea, you know. Um, and if I can't formulate any arguments against that idea, I'd be very worried. Uh, and it would suggest that maybe my ideas need changing. So it's just a, an admission of, of bankruptcy and of, of a no, yeah, being part of the status quo, not, not actually having uh, an answer. Or being interested in having an answer about why the brothers of Italy have been able to get into power. I think that you've already kind of dealt with this question, but just to make doubly clear, we acknowledge that the right wing and the absence of a proper offensive or counteroffensive, I should say, mm-hmm. against identity politics by the left mm-hmm. have profited from these ideas. Yeah. How do Marxists distinguish our criticisms of identity politics? Yeah from the kinds of culture war attacks on identity politics. How do we distinguish our criticisms from those that come from the right? Yeah, well, it's I I understand that. But sometimes when you criticise these things, it's almost, uh, I think some people, uh, just hearing you reject these things, they might assume that you're of the far right, which is ridiculous because nothing nothing we said remotely suggests that, actually. But uh, it's just because this has become the mainstream uh, debate really that dominates uh, the news cycle and so if you reject what seems to be the left-wing side of it it's, it sort of comes across as if you're the right side but that's that's rubbish um first of all we have to say that the far right practice their own form of identity politics um they both sides actually depend on one another uh and uh they you know they both sides want to divide off the different identities and for them to stay in their lane which is an awful awful phrase coming from identity politics um they you know they and they both use scaremongering and the far right uses the scaremongering as a way to 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 help them recruit from the other side so they sort of use the the, some of the more ridiculous things that, that come out of identity politics and and use that to recruit for the far right um but they don't they just put forward their own form of identity politics which is not a sort of more openly reactionary one obviously but it is uh it's based on just identity um, and you know this group is different to this group and doesn't understand the other group and must have nothing to do with them um, anyway so we our, our difference to that is we stand for the unity of people from different ethnicities and gender etc and, uh, and but that is not an abstract unity right it's not just oh wouldn't it be isn't it a lovely idea for us all to get along is an it's a unity based on and, and nor, nor is it a unity based on attempts to sort of force minorities, if you like, into the background. No, it's a unity based on class interests, right? And we have to un- understand and explain that the working class of all backgrounds, I think they instinctively understand and gravitate towards that. 
I mean, just look at the strikes that are happening at the moment, a big wave of strike action in Britain at the moment, the biggest for decades. That is class unity in practice, cutting across identity politics very well, because obviously people from all kinds of backgrounds are on strike, they're on the picket lines, and that unity is being forged. If you're on the picket line, and then what happens? You're also having to combat the lies of the right wing. You might have members of the public or scabs going through and, and accusing, you know, parroting lines from the media. And you have to, to argue against that. Um, there's many you know, elements of struggle involved. And that forges a unity uh, between the workers who are involved in that, whatever they thought of one another before. Um, and uh, because they have a common interest. And it breaks down those prejudices if, if, if to what extent they were there, you know? Right. Um, and that is what we stand for. Another example would be, once again, to go back to Corbyn. When he appeared as, as a candidate, i.e. when he stood to be leader of the Labour Party, there were women, there were two women that stood against him. There was uh, Yvette Cooper and Liz Kendall. But women on the left did not support them. I didn't hear anyone on the left say, well, actually, maybe we should support Liz Kendall because she's a woman and we've never had a, a woman leader of the Labour Party. Nobody said that because everybody saw what an incredible thing it would be to have a left-wing leader. What a breakthrough it would be to have a left-wing leader of the Labour Party. Um, similarly, we saw uh, Grime for Corbyn come into being, right? That was a, 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 a campaign which was started uh, by different grime musicians. I should explain grime is a form of music, a genre of music, which is overwhelmingly black in its uh, you know in its, in its origins if you like um we'll bring you on for our top 40 analysis uh, <laughs> episode in future uh but um yeah like the, the these musicians uh spon- quite spontaneously i think cre- and and honestly created a grime for corbyn kind of hashtag and a movement and endorsed corbyn uh we haven't yet seen anything like grime for kemi badenoch or when Kwasi Kwarteng was being attacked and was being forced to resign uh, as uh, the chancellor, you didn't see any, you didn't see like grime artists or, or working class black people rushing to his defence, right? Because they understood that he's a capitalist, he's right wing, that he doesn't defend their interests. What black workers, for instance, want is somebody who fights for their interests, their class interests, which there's been far too few of for a, for a very long time. Far too few people fighting for for the working class but that's what they want when they see that they will back it um so that's what we want is class unity which sweeps aside uh, the prejudices um that people that some people have and uh, that's very clearly distinguished from the far right and of course if we were to build a movement with those kinds of politics the far right will do a job the job of distinguishing ourselves from them for us because they will hate us they will identify such a movement as its main enemy and also uh, if we build a strong movement on that basis we will be ruthless uh, in combating and crushing the far right with the power of the labor movement um, and then that, then it will be seen that that is a real way to oppose the far right that is something that really uh, opposes the far right effectively and i don't think anybody will think that we are the same as the far right or that we share their politics in some way mm. although i fully expect the uh prostitute press to make those comparisons talk about the far left and far right being as bad as each other as violent as one another as intolerant as one another yeah. but i don't think it would have much purchase amongst uh, uh you know young people left-wing people they wouldn't recognize that to be the case at all well, on that point, 
perhaps this is wishful thinking, but I don't think it is. It feels to me like there's something of a pushback from young people on a healthy basis, yeah. on a left-wing basis, against identity politics. Yeah. And obviously, <laughs> social media at best offers an imperfect and impressionistic lens. Mm -hmm. But I have noticed in the aftermath of this tragic murder of uh, Brianna Gay, who's a young trans woman from Cheshire here in the UK. She died a few weeks ago. Um, a debate broke out, mostly online, about people using the hashtag say her name. And this was specifically in relation to the fact that the right wing press were dead naming her, which means that they were using uh, her birth name rather than her chosen name following her transition. And you had some people on um, the, the so-called left, you had people who claimed to represent Black Lives Matter, for example, criticizing uh, people online for, for using this hashtag. Actually, I think the hashtag campaign was started by a group called Transgender Action Block, who themselves are petty bourgeois identity politics types who did exactly as you were saying earlier and capitulated under the pressure and apologized right. because the accusation was this was a slogan. This was a slogan that was specifically about the murder of black women or yeah. violence towards black women. And it's appropriating the struggle of black women to yeah. use this slogan. And it reminds me a little bit of the controversy that occasionally flares up over using uh, the slogan rest in power when somebody is, is, is killed on, on right. the left because it was associated with black liberation struggle. And the reaction to me seems to be a case of this is absolutely ridiculous. Why in the context of the murder of a yeah. young trans woman, while the Tories and their right wing media attack dogs are whipping up culture war hysteria around trans people you know grooming kids and you know trying to sneak into women's bathrooms in order to assault them and this sort of thing you know just digging from the depths of society and whipping up transphobic hysteria why are we splitting hairs over what's the appropriate slogan to mourn and protest the murder of a young woman in a transphobic attack or a likely clearly transphobic attack and I saw a lot of people in the context of these of, of these arguments basically saying identity politics has um, jumped the shark and this is ridiculous. And what we need is not division. What we need is unity, because ultimately, if we're all oppressed, then it stands to reason that we ought to stand together. Uh -huh. So do you think that there's a bit of a pushback, yeah. a bit of a positive reaction against these ideas? Yeah. And I think that that example is a great one of the it just makes it so obvious the divisiveness of those politics and that you have here an instinctive um, groping towards unity, you know, like linking our, our struggles against oppression, you know, sharing uh, a slogan because, it's, you know, it's not the same, but similar forms of oppression uh, are shared by different layers and we need to sort of combine our forces and, and, and uh, fight against it. Um, and instead it's like you know i mentioned before that phrase stay in your lane which is such a it's so sort of transparently terrible mm. it's such an obviously awful phrase stay in your lane you know don't think outside the box you know do as you're told that's essentially what that that's that phrase seems to to be getting at and that's what they were doing don't use our slogan your struggle has nothing to do with ours fight your own struggle on your own don't expect any help from us that's what it's saying mm. Uh, and it's so obviously uh, 
uh, a dead end and uh, and obviously divisive. The thing is, people, and I think it's one of those things that like there probably is and has been for a long time the basis for le- mass left wing rejection of this. But it's like waiting for the lightning rod, waiting for someone who stands up and sort of you know says the the emperor's got no clothes on. Uh, and until that is there, until that happens, it can kind of appear for a long time as if this is the dominant sort of idea on the left. Identity politics is a dominant idea on the left. Uh, and actually, I mean, there's a lot of people who will say things along these lines. You know, they'll the sort of sort of they'll see something racist or sexist, and the way that they will reject it will be, you know, they'll use language from identity politics, for example. There's a lot of people like that, but. The moment it's challenged, and the moment they're given an, a good alternative, they will accept that. And and one of the reasons for that is is that because of its divisiveness and it's it's splitting up everything into tiny different gradations. That that's that struggle and that's that form of oppression, and it's you know tiny tiny little gradations of 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 oppression and identity, and uh, and no one group can can claim to speak for another in any way. Because of that, almost anybody who practices identity politics, if you like, or subscribes to it in some form, will have themselves been a victim of it, uh, just like in this case, where they use a slogan, um, which is uh, from another group, and then they get accused of, of appropriating that that struggle. That have, will have happened to almost everybody. And, and I think everyone in the movement kind of lives in fear mm. of uh, getting called out, yeah, of getting cancelled, even though they themselves... supposedly believe in that kind of politics but they sort of are aware that they could slip up at some point Uh, and that's that but they they don't necessarily abandon it because they're not given an alternative they can't see some other and they're afraid that if they do abandon it does that make them racist does that make them sexist does that mean they accept the status quo so they need to be given a real a serious way to fight racism to fight uh, sexism misogyny and other forms of oppression but of course, that hasn't really been built. There is no powerful left-wing movement which is fighting uh, against these things. What do you say to the people who support intersectionality, who say that what you need to do is to look at all the points where the different um, forms of oppression overlap? Mm-hmm. So you have black people who are also women, and therefore they're doubly oppressed as women and black yeah. people. And the solution is, they would say... Um, not to divide up the struggles, but to recognise that there are different forms of oppression and to deal with the specific ways in which they overlap. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, we have to fight against oppression. and We don't just have a, a class reductionist, as people say, position of like, the only thing that exists really is the working class or is the class struggle. And socialism will just solve everything. So that's the only thing that we need to do. Um obviously our starting point is that and and the need to fight against capitalism but we do and we always have had specific policies on oppression marxists have always had that uh the bolsheviks for example you know the 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 russian revolution didn't just abolish capitalism but it immediately uh put into laws you know uh, far more progressive policies than what you had in the west and in many cases still have in the west you know the right to abortion the right to divorce and uh homosexuality was legalized for example uh consciously uh deliberately in i I believe 1918 i mean that was an incredibly advanced thing they also built the communist international uh which you know created mass parties of millions of people 
in uh, non-European, you know, non-white countries. Therefore, they were organizing millions of um, of non-white workers and peasants to fight against capitalism, to fight against imperialism. And, you know, if you oppose, you know, imperialism, this phrase today is very trendy, decolonize, you know, decolonize mm. this, decolonize that. Decolonize your mind. Yeah, well, here, that's, if, you, if you're serious about decolonizing the world, you better look to the Communist International in its early days because it was a mass international organization, uh, you know, scaring the living daylights out of the imperialists, mm. genuinely threatening capitalism throughout, throughout, and imperialism throughout the world. Um, and uh, yeah, so we've got a very proud history of fighting oppression. Marxists have always opposed racism and have always explained where it comes from. We've always opposed uh, the oppression of women and explained where it comes from. Uh, so we have a very proud tradition, and uh, we don't uh, we don't sort of ignore these questions and never have done. But of course, what underpins all of this is that we understand that capitalism is 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 the is the ultimate cause of this. In particular, the anarchy, the insecurity of capitalist life, uh, we, that is what pits people against one another. You know, that's, uh, it's not just that, that people are poor and, and, and they need someone to blame, which of course is a big part of it. It's also the alienation of life. It's the sense of we have no control over our communities. Where is society going? This sense that there's someone else who's dictating things. And of course, that someone else is the capitalist class and, 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 and the, the markets. But all of that uh, uh, is the breeding ground for prejudice, basically, for blaming other people, for seeking simplistic explanations for the problems that we have, for mm. seeking to get some sort of spurious mm. control over our lives by, uh, you know, maintaining a British jobs for British workers or some nonsense like that. That the breeding ground for that mm. is is the the the. Um, the anarchy of capitalism. And as the crisis of capitalism intensifies, that danger becomes greater. Yes, exactly. So we understand that only a socialist economy, a planned economy, can, can, can end that. It doesn't do so automatically. It's true. We do need conscious policies, a conscious program to end uh, oppression, to end uh, prejudices. And of course, we need particular policies on, on uh, you, know, you know, for example, providing regarding sexism. We don't just need to outlaw you know, the gender pay gap and things like that and outlaw discrimination against women of any kind. But we also need to put in place material resources specifically to, to help combat that. In other words, excellent childcare, um, free free childcare in society, which will allow women to participate uh, far more uh, in the economy and in politics. Um, but in general, it's, it's the, un, the ma- most fundamental thing is that a planned economy takes away the insecurity, uh, a democratically run planned economy in which work, working class people run their own workplaces and there's a plan uh, uh, for for the economy and nobody goes without and everybody understands why this is being done and, uh, and, and, and you know, understands, you know, what they are building, which is a society, uh, a socialist society, um, meeting the needs of, of everybody. When that is the case, the basis, the underlying basis for prejudices, which are based ultimately on fear, those those will wither away. Mm. Doesn't mean we don't need to consciously combat them now and after a revolution. But if we don't build a socialist society on that kind of lines, then ultimately, 
it will always be possible for reactionaries and demagogues to whip up this, these prejudices. Mm. So I suppose the difference is the intersectionalists would say that you have these different experiences and narratives of oppression that overlap, mm -hmm. and the Marxists would say, yes, there are many, of course. There, there are manifold forms of oppression, but ultimately they all flow from class society, which means uh -huh. capitalism today, and the solution is not intersectionality, but solidarity, class yes. solidarity and joint struggle. And I think this is the thing that um, we should use to bring this discussion to an end, because what we always say is that Marxists do not combat identity politics because we don't care about oppression. It's because we do care about oppression. It's because we think these ideas have never advanced oppressed people a single step towards liberation. Quite the contrary, by dividing the working class into different silos of experience, they undermine the struggle against the ultimate source of oppression, which is capitalism. What we want is to seriously and actually fight the basis for all forms of oppression, which is class exploitation. Daniel, any final thoughts? Well, just on that, I think, look at society today. We live in a time of, there's never been more discussion in the media about representation. Uh, there's never been more, you know, diversity, uh, if you like, uh, in the media uh, at the top of society. Um, we have we have that to a degree that did not exist before. And yet, at the same time, the conditions for working class black people, for working class women, not only not improving, they've been getting worse thanks to austerity. Inequality has been widening. Uh, public services have been being run down enormously, which obviously uh, is to the detriment of, of particularly people from oppressed groups. Um, and, uh, you know, so the real, the real conditions for people, for oppressed people from different minorities have worsened, whilst at the same time the, the middle classes have spoken about and ticked a lot of boxes on representation more than ever before. That tells you that that, that that tactic and that philosophy is fundamentally wrong. It is not achieving anything for the vast bulk of people from the backgrounds that it claims to be fighting for. Uh, it is actually taking them in the wrong direction entirely, so it has to be rejected and we have to stand on a class basis for a socialist program to end uh, the, the chaos and the poverty uh, and the war of capitalist society. Right on. All right, Daniel, thank you very much. That was International Marxist Radio. Thanks for joining us. Tune in again same time next week for more Marxist news, theory, and analysis. And if you've been inspired by what you've heard today, Get in touch via our website, marxist.com, and find out more about how you can join the international Marxist tendency and fight for revolution where you are.